Do you hear that? The sound of crickets? Do you hear that? Is that what your campus sounds like right now? Leasing over the summer months is tough. Everyone is gone and, you know, orientations are typically only great for getting your property name in front of freshmen so they remember you when they are looking to move off campus their sophomore year. You need traffic and leases now. You know who is actively looking for housing in your market? International students. Are they calling your office or sending you emails? No, because they don't know you exist unless you just happen to come up high enough in their Google search. However, they are looking at the Unilodgers website. Unilodgers has been working with international students for over 10 years, helping them find housing in the UK and Australia. And now they have expanded to the US. If you haven't listed your property with Unilodgers, you are losing out on getting in front of more international students. So what's the cost to list on Unilodgers? Absolutely nothing. Unilodgers has a performance-based fee schedule, meaning they are only paid a fee once a prospect has moved in. Did you hear what I just said? After the prospect has moved in. This means you've collected rent before you even have an expense. So regardless if your property has a long way to go or you just need a few more leases for this fall, go to unilodgers.com forward slash contact hyphen US. Again, that's unilodgers.com forward slash contact hyphen US and list your property today. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees, and joining me today is Greta Dare. Hello. How are things going with you? Fantastic. How are you? Doing good. It's we're, We are recording this on July 5th, so day after Independence Day here in the U.S., um, which was a, a, it's a long night of shooting all fireworks in our neighborhood, um, which was, was fun. The kids had a lot of fun, but it, uh, it came about two or three hours after a, a pretty significant thunderstorm. So it was just an icky gross, gross <laughs> mess with firecracker ash falling down from the sky onto <laughs> your sweaty face and all that good stuff. Wes over here trying to relive or doing his best to relive the original battle. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 and it looks like because of, I guess, kind of the what was work, what was going to work with the atmosphere after that storm, like none of the smoke would dis- dissipate at all. So <laughs> it, uh, it even felt like we were walking around a, a battleground in our front yard. So you really, uh, you really were, you were like, yeah, we're going to yeah. take this true, pre- true Patreon style. Want my kids to see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we took some pictures and, and we're looking at them this morning and it, it certainly, it certainly has that effect. To nice. It. I think we, uh, I think we may have just created a new filter for Instagram now, <laughs> the battleground filter. Anyway, um, well, hey, we've just come off of our second regional summit, which was done at the Cincinnati Zoo in Cincinnati. So Ohio. much fun! It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. 
And we'll we'll talk more in the outro, but we've got two more that are coming up. One September 10th in Waco, Texas, which is going to be targeted to all of the markets in in Texas. So, and that's a lot. That's uh, that's yeah, that's kind where we've got kind most of a, listenership we, as well. We do. We do. Yeah, so yeah, no matter if you're in Austin or Lubbock or wherever um, in Texas, this one is for you as well as for the markets in Oklahoma. So Norman, uh, Tulsa, and Stillwater, and all those other little university towns in between. Uh, this one's this one's for you guys. And I would even say if if you know you're in a market like I don't know uh, Arkansas or Louisiana. You know, those are those are two markets that we didn't do anything for kind of the deep south region this year just because it was it was hard to find anything um, or find a good central place where everybody could come from. So even if you're in Arkansas, Louisiana and are just going to be in Texas for for that week and want to want to kind of experience what a summit is like. Go register. Let us know. Drop us a note. We'll make sure that if you've got a market that you want to discuss, then we'll certainly talk about that. But, um, and I would actually, I would actually recommend it. I just want to like cut you off for a second. I would definitely recommend it because this event is, and I know you said we're going to talk about it in the outro, but I want to throw this in there just in case you don't make it for the outro. This is a two day event, people. This is a big deal. The second day has the market analysis the or the full deep dive market research. So that means that if you are from outside, you can let us know. We will get your market put in there. You can do the deep dive analysis in that second day. And the whole entire first day event is going to be filled with all subjects, student housing. And the second day is going to be that entire workshop that's going to be focused around analyzing your entire market. So this is a really big deal. This is a big event. You don't want to miss it. This is the one. So that's all I'll say. Stick around for the outro. But I just had to throw that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's coming up um, September tenth, and we'll uh, we've also got one October first for the Carolina region, which we'll talk about later. But uh, yeah, well, in the outro, let's talk about some of the changes. Obviously, you mentioned you know on the second day, which you know that's that's one of the changes that we're making is it's now going to a two day event, and we'll explain a little bit more about that in the outro. But for for this episode. We're talking about the true cost of resident experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> should, should we give everybody kind of the genesis of where this came from? <laughs> yes. I feel like it's deserved. Or, or even what that means. Yes. So, and it's kind of funny. Like, I feel like it's kind of important to say like what this means because I love, first off, like, I love, love, love this episode, like going back and even listening to it. Like, I love the interactions between all of us. Also, because you kind of threatened me right at the beginning, by the way, I just want to throw that out there. Um, (laughs) But then also the interaction from the audience, like everything about this one is so fun to listen to. It really actually might be my favorite thus far. Also, because Adam might be my new best friend or is. But with all that aside, the the true cost of the resident experience was based around the the idea, the original idea of these, 
you know, these conversations of every company has a resident experience, whether you're pushing it or not, it's happening. And the concept that, you know, you're going to create a positive resident experience by just telling people to do things, you know, you're having calls and you're like, follow up or, you know, do have good events and not realizing the cost of what it takes to actually create that. And then also the benefits that come from those things. You know, that's something that we've talked about a multitude of times. When you have a truly incredible resident experience, it actually means that it will very much cut down on your marketing dollars having to be spent. So what does that look like? It means that if you have, you know, from a a hiring perspective, you have to hire the right people that can help create that positive resident experience. You have to train those people to know what that's going to look like. And then you have to actually have policies, procedures, and excellent events. And Tiffany from Cardinal, who was there, she she gave a perfect, perfect example of a of a quality resident event. And, you know, it was in regard actually I'm not I'm not even gonna say what it was in regards to because you have to listen. But she gave a beautiful example of a quality branded event. And I called it out right afterwards too. I was like, and it's not cheap. And that was why is because if you want to create this this experience, this true experience, it is going to cost you this investment of recruiting, training, and investing in quality events, and then reshaping all of this to really, really get this. And then we talk about the benefits of what that truly means. And you found what I what I really felt was the perfect person for us to have this conversation with. And I just set you up for the perfect way to talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he he was the perfect person for this. Adam Yarber from Campus Advantage, who is their director of resident experience, and yeah, you know, kind of kind of a perfect title to to throw at this topic as well. And yeah, I mean, you know, he's been in the he's been in the industry for quite a while, and uh, you know, obviously had a lot of success at creating great engagement and great experiences. Which there is a difference, and we'll we'll talk about that as well in this in this discussion. But yeah, he actually he actually reached out to me sometime before the event about something. I don't know. I misspelled something and. Want the website post or something? I don't know, but anyway, we got <laughs> we got matter. to we got to yeah we got to talk, and I'm like Adam, I think you'd be perfect for you know for discussing this topic, and, and he so is. Um, he is, and he he flew up. At, you know, in that particular region, there was not a there's hardly I don't think there were any campus advantage communities that fit into any of those markets. And so for Campus Advantage to say, hey, we know we don't have anybody, you know, that that's from any of our properties attending because it was outside of any of their markets. But we want to send Adam up because we, you know, we feel like this is a, an important topic and and also just talks to, to um, you know, their belief in the events and what they can do for people. That's so, huge. Um, they graciously, yeah, they graciously sent him up on, on their own dom to, uh, to, to battle this topic. And hey, I think we did a great job, but yeah, this is the first time we've done at one of these summits. You know, we always take the, the recording of the idea presenters and make a podcast out of that. But this is one that we said, Hey, let's, let's actually make this a discussion, you know, like we're, we are recording a live podcast and then that way we can also get in feedback from the audience as well. So, so really like how this came out 
And, uh, and I think everybody here will enjoy it as well. Agreed. Completely agreed. It's fun. Well, cool. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and hit play on that. And then we, we will come back with some takeaways in the outro as well as update everybody on what's going on with Student Housing Insight. Sounds good. So what we what we decided to do here was to basically record. We had something listed on our podcast uh, schedule that we wanted to do something kind of on customer service, customer engagement. We didn't really know what that may end up looking like. You know, every single national player, and we've got some great national operators that are here. You know, in order to be you know a national a national operator and kind of be in that top twenty five. Uh, there's one thing that kind of sets that top 25 apart from, I think, everybody else, which is the inclusion of some type of resident experience and resident engagement program. I question a lot of times, you know, how effective those are, how well we are doing with those. And so I really wanted to spend the podcast um, and, and of having that discussion of, hey, are we, are we doing things the right way? Is Waffle Wednesday just really has it burned everybody out yet? <laughs> and who's it, who's it actually, you know, bringing in? So let, let's talk about the importance, you know, why we even have these programs to begin with. You know, it's really important. I think we had a, um, I read something, heard something here recently. If, if a resident has at least, if they consider that they have in their community, I think at least six. six was it you telling yeah. me this? Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah it was actually. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, share it. Go ahead. Well, I, don't, I haven't introduced you yet, but yeah. go ahead. All, all the experts you, here. You have permission to speak now. Thank you. Um, if a resident knows between six to seven people at their community, I think it's like 40% more likely to renew at that community. Um, and that's huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, look, we could talk about marketing expenses all day long, but I've got to imagine that if you can help your resident find six friends <laughs> at your community, that's got to be cheaper than you know what what we spend on marketing costs so from that standpoint from a business standpoint i think we all understand you know why it's important i also think there's a lot of things there that relate to mental health and just the overall experience that you know our college that we want our college students to have that they also benefit from you know and and being a part of those programs being the recipient of those <clears throat> of those programs but I think you know one thing and let me go ahead and make the introduction to our our guest here keep him a stranger um, just keep just keep him guessing <laughs> oh yeah so so just rip it off all right can we get serious now um, no so this gentleman that is between Greta and I um, and keeping us from fighting each other right now is Adam Yarber Adam is the director of resident experience at Campus Advantage and out of Austin, Texas. And before we get too into the questions and the discussions, just kind of give us your origin story, what it is that got you into student housing and into the position that you're in now. Yeah, thanks. So I started in student housing in 2010. Actually, let me back up a little bit. Started in 2007 as an RA on campus. How many of you are RAs? One, two, three, okay, quite a few, nice. awesome. Uh, that really opened my eyes to that world. It still was not my plan to do that for my entire life. Um, and then I transferred schools and moved to Middle Tennessee State University. And I got an apartment with my friends. It's like, hey, we wanna live here, come live with us. And I said, okay, cool. 
So I took a tour. I still remember the first person I toured with. Her name was Emily. She was great. Must be a great name uh, because she did a really great job. And a few weeks later, I found out they were hiring, and I applied, and I got hired over my two roommates. So all three of us applied, and I got picked. It was a little awkward in our house after that. Were you still roommates after that? For a little while, yeah. But they did lots of pranks. There was a watermelon and a pumpkin involved. We'll talk about it later. It stayed in our house for months, and pumpkins aren't supposed to live that long apart from the vine, so you can guess the rest. Um, so I digress. I uh, started as a community assistant, um, really just loved it, and enjoyed planning the resident events and interacting with the residents. I single-handedly, this is a shameless plug for me, but I filled three whole buildings of my friends because secretly I was also working on campus as a desk assistant, and so I was recruiting people when I worked the third shift desk and they were coming living at my property. I don't recommend you infiltrate the university systems that way, but you might, it might be fruitful for you, but I built a good relationship with them, so it's great. But yeah, so love that, really got a knack for it. Uh, took over a resident leasing coordinator and just really enjoyed that. And I stepped away for a little while, ran a branding and marketing company, the startup, and it was tough. And all my designers quit because they wanted to finish school. And so I was stuck. And then somebody said, hey, come back to student housing. I was like, well, I don't have anything else to do, so I'll do that. And the, so, market, the marketing company so was yours, right? Marketing company was mine, yes. Started. Yeah, I mean, the website's still out there. I don't even know if I should say the name because you'll probably Google it and be like, Please do. it's 323 Creative Group. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Whatever. Uh, it was a thing of the past. I miss it a lot. Thanks for bringing that up, Greta. But I ended up picking up all my stuff from Middle Tennessee, and I got in a rental uh, U-Haul and drove down to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You may know that market down there. Oh. Welcome back to Student House. <laughs> I walked in on move-out day um, at a 686-bed property. There was a general manager who'd been there for two months, a bookkeeper, and one leasing assistant. In so now, where, where was your student housing experience before? In Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Yeah, Did I had you cry? Um, no, well, it was weird. I was telling uh, Wes the other day, I walked in. My background check hadn't even cleared yet. So technically, legally, I wasn't wait, allowed wait, to wait, even wait. start. Remember, this has got to go on the internet. So let's <laughs> don't put... Well, I didn't work for them. I worked for a, a work for... We, we legally did it where I worked for a temp agency, actually. You didn't say he works. He just showed up. Yeah, I just showed up uh, with my it's car fine. on the back of a U-Haul. You were following I couldn't, your I couldn't get keys to my apartment. I couldn't do anything. So I'm there like, well, how can I help? So I dug into it and spent nine grueling months in Tuscaloosa and worked really hard as an assistant manager down there. And then I moved to Lubbock, Texas. Um, oh, my it, God. I say it really weird, everybody. Lubbock. Um, From the bowling pan to, or the bowling pot to the frying pan. Huh? Well, the armpit of Texas is what we call it. I, our, well, for lack of better words, you can't say it on the internet. <laughs> I mean. Uh, love Lubbock. Uh, I was a general manager there. Um, say everything. What's that? Nothing. A podcast. That's, <laughs> that's um, Adam Yarber at Campus Advantage. And <laughs> right. Austin, Texas. Um, but yeah. What's the address again? I lived in Lubbock for a while as a general manager there. Went through some really tough turns there. And then I went out on the high note with a, a, my last turn as a general manager there were like three issues and that was it. And one of them was cobwebs in the corner that we should have gotten. You disgusting, filthy bees. I know, <laughs> uh, but it was great. And then I moved to Campus Vantage. I started out as a resident life coordinator. I was like, what was the title? Uh, resident life coordinator and just loved it. I mean, it was oh, like- so you went, when you went to Alabama, 
to Alabama, it wasn't with Campus Advantage. No, no, no. It was with American Campus. Okay, I don't know gotcha. if you're supposed to say names or not. But yeah, I started out with American Campus. Did you not read the rules before you came on? I didn't agree to the terms and conditions. We were talking oh. about that earlier. Um, but yeah, I started out with ACC and worked for them. Uh, I had a lot of property experience because there were properties. Um, even in Murfreesboro, we helped other properties in Tuscaloosa. There was another property in Birmingham. I went and worked with them. And then out in Auburn, we had a new start out there. I did some housing fairs in Auburn, which was really fun. And then in Lubbock, there were seven properties. So I had the largest property, 900 beds. It had a lake, two pools, two hot tubs, two clubhouses, twice the problems. Did you say two bowls? Yeah, we can already guess. Two pools. Pools. What pools. kind of a property that's? I mean, it could have been pools. There, there might have been pools there too. I yeah. mean, it's Texas, so it's yeah, flat okay. and dry. Um, I'm funny. You can laugh at my jokes. It's okay. <laughs> They're going to add laugh tracks in later anyway, so it doesn't it's matter. It's totally going to happen. So, all that to say, I came to Campus Vantage and I really found my niche. Like, it's so funny because. your why? I found my why, really. I mean, I, I truly did. I wasn't being sarcastic. I wasn't either. Um, I love what I do, and I have since the moment I stepped foot in the door. Um, not knocking anybody else or any other companies, but I really found a place where I fit in, and my ideas are encouraged. You know, many of you may know Dan Altersdorf. Dan is my boss, and Dan's like, I pay you for your opinion. And I walked in the door day one and took his bag of tricks and dumped it Who out of the table. Who says that? Right. I pay you for your opinion. You well, know what? A, actually, that's something you would say to me. Actually, and you literally pay me. I'm for sure my you opinion. give your opinion. Sure, right? I told you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and so it's not um, a common thing that anybody says. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and then um, about a year into the gig, I was promoted to director of resident experience. So I oversee customer service, resident experience, customer engagement surveys, residence life, all the fun stuff. Really, you guys do so, really incredible stuff. Yeah, honestly. Nice. So, uh, you know, for the sake of this conversation, I really kind of want to separate, uh, you know, what resident experience is versus resident engagement. And I think with your title, resident experience probably kind of encompasses both yeah. of those. Um, but for the sake of this conversation, because I think some things are very different between resident engagement and resident experience. Yeah. So for, you know, for resident experience, it, let's think more along the lines of, customer service and how the resident is interacting with the staff. Yeah. And then resident engagement is really more about, you know, finding those six friends for these for, yeah. for your residents, right? Not just from having social experiences on your property and that type of thing, but also from a standpoint of, of really making sure that they're getting plugged into their campus and the resources that their school provides. So for the sake of this conversation, we'll we'll do it that way. So Let's kind of drill that back and, and let's first talk about resident engagement. Because the one thing I think with resident engagement, beyond what you were talking about, what was the stat again? 40% more likely to? More likely to renew. Yeah. To renew. And I don't think it's just renewing. I think it's, you know, I, th I think it's also referring to other people. I mean, because they're yeah. going to have, have you guys done any studies? Yeah, on, we, on um, we work with Jay Turner. Many of you may be familiar with Jay Turner. I would highly recommend their services. They're fantastic. Um, but our survey results came back to us, and it was 41, 43% of our residents had heard about their community from a friend. And the next closest was like 8% with uh, online leads. So you, there's a major difference in gap between how they're hearing about it. So their, yeah. their experience in how engaged they are at their community 
played a part in them telling someone else. And it, go, I mean, going back to kind of my story, that was that's really how I sold. I yeah. mean, it was because I lived there, I loved there, my friends wanted to be where I was. Yeah. And that's what brought them in. And, yeah. and we're seeing the same thing. It, and it's the same thing now in, in our culture. I mean, every, if you don't see, if it's on Instagram, you want it, right? Uh, I think we, you know, the goal with this would be how do we create communities that are Instagram worthy, <laughs> that your Instagram residents want to take pictures of because their friends are going to be jealous if they don't. It's going to be FOMO. They're going to be like, man, I'm missing out on what's going on there. Exactly. Well, and we. My, my mind just went to a place that. Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> It's interesting to do this in person. So, no, it's funny because we, I was telling you this earlier, that this isn't the first time. This is, all of these things are just reoccurring themes. Yeah. When Ryan and I did ours, one of the main things that we talked about, and this is something we were talking about earlier, is that the, the, the goal of every single property management company, every single organization should be to get your, your community, to get your, your services, right? It's about product, which is your community, your services, to get your community to a point where you are not completely reliant on your rental rates and marketing dollars to sell your community for you. Your residents should be able to do this for you on their own. They should be out there. They should, you know, be doing what you do or you think that it's so phenomenal that when you're going to work, you're doing ninja marketing, essentially. You're doing it for them. And that means that those advertisements aren't necessary. Those posts aren't necessary. Those Facebook ads aren't necessary. The SEO doesn't have to be as strong. I mean, all of this money is just profusely saved because now you have somebody that feels so passionately. They feel so Fiona. They feel so strongly about this particular community that they want to tell other people about it. And why yeah. do they do it? Because we feel so passionately about home. If I feel safe there, if I feel good there, if I feel cared for there, I want people that I care about to feel this same way, right? We do that with every single aspect of our life. I, this feels good. I feel taken care of. I want you to feel this way too, because you matter to me. But then it's a matter of understanding. And this is, this is what this is about, right? There seems to be this gap of thinking that that means, and you and I have experienced this before, which is why I think we're excited about this particular subject is, well, doesn't that mean that we can just have phone calls and we can just say these words of, our people care about this and therefore we're good at this. Yeah. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. Well, it, and we're not. that doesn't translate. I mean, really, no. I mean, saying you care about something, I mean, our CEO is kind of, his thing is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, and be that as it may, I mean, it's true. I I will say in my experience from my community, it wasn't the best. It wasn't the newest. It was old and the furniture was still from the original build in 2001. Um, But it was a fact that I I had a community there and built community. And that's, you know, I, I translate community into an experience, right? You know, I think, Wes, you mentioned earlier about why do students go to school? Well, of course, it's to get an education, right? And to get a lot of debt for some of them. Yeah. Um, but it's for that experience. Yeah. And so what I tell our teams is we're not selling apartments. We're not renting out housing spaces. We're not filling units. We are selling and creating experiences. And we even kind of deemed our, um, 
our departments. So leasing and marketing is the selling department. And what I run is called the student's first experience. And that's the deliver department. And those things can't happen without each other, right? So we sell our product, which is the experience, and then we have to deliver it. And we monitor those things too. So, so let's, let's talk about Campus Advantage a little bit more. I'm not going to ask you to give away any trade secrets, but um, I will. The, uh, <laughs> you already have been. The, well, and, I mean, let's face it. There are no trade secrets within this industry. We've all done the same damn thing a hundred times That's over true. again. We just put a copyright on it. Exactly. It so, so resident experience, resident engagement. Just give us, you know, kind of the 30 second rundown, elevator speech of what you guys are, are doing. What are you, what you're responsible for on that? In terms of my department or just kind of what? Well, just from, uh, you know, from what's, what's the campus advantage, advantage group of programming? Yeah, what's their advantage? What, I know that Dan and even, you know, speaking with yourself, it's not just about something that you're saying, something that you're putting on a, uh, you know, piece of business development collateral. It's something that um, you guys are, are very intentional in saying, you know, we had Michael Davies here from, from Leap, and that's you know a group that you guys have just recently yeah. brought in, and that wasn't just C-suite saying, yeah, that makes sense from a financial standpoint. It also got vetted by I'm not not sure if it got vetted from you, but I know with Dan of okay, yeah. does this fit in with what we're trying to do with yeah. our residents? One of the things you know, f our mission at Cambridge Advantage is, and this is very abbreviated, so this is not worth for I know it worth for, but for sake of time. Uh, creating financially successful communities that excel at providing rewarding living, learning, and career experiences. And so we view that as twofold. Number one, doing doing good, right? We want to have good financials. We want to have, we want to be profitable. We want to hit our NOI, all that great stuff. Because those are very important things. I mean, at the end of the day, we are in business, right? It's not a nonprofit. We've got to make money. The other part is doing well, right? So doing well by our residents and taking care of them. And we say life growth success. So living, learning, career, life growth success is kind of our terminology in terms of how we uh, structure our events or our programming, if you will, to use an archaic term. Let's be honest. Stop calling it programming, please. Great events, great experiences for your residents. But it's ingrained from the very beginning that someone comes on to the Cambridge Vineyards team. We are talking about how important the resident experience is. From the president and CEO, Mike, to Dan, um, when he does our orientation. Every um, home office employee gets an hour that I just get them. And they sit with me and I talk to them about all these great things. And I tell them, this is your role. This is your responsibility. And then just training our team members on how important it is and then the ROI of that. So what do we get from this, right? We get, um, of course, we're going to get renewals, right? That's, that's the goal is we want to have heads on beds. We don't have heads on beds. We don't have money in the bank. We don't have jobs. So that's very important. But also we're having our residents are taking better care of our properties. They're picking them after themselves because they care about where they live, right? They are, there are less resident conflicts. I know if, there, if there's any, you could throw a stone and hit somebody who's had to deal with a roommate conflict and you're like, what the heck is this? Like, you guys just need to get along and get out of my office, right? I mean, yeah. we don't say that to them, but I think that sometimes. But we see lower resident conflict. We see better word of mouth marketing. Those are all things that are, that are, are tangible, that are a direct result of kind of our approach to the resident experience. And, and again, it's even changing the term, terminology. Rather than saying programming or, you know, we create an experience because it's, 
you can't get it anywhere else, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you mentioned at the very beginning, every company in some way or another has a resident events. They have those Waffle Wednesdays or Taco Tuesdays, but we want to really serve the whole student. And that includes getting them connected with things that are going on at their local university or things that are going on in the community. We focus on philanthropies. We focus on making sure that our residents, when they graduate, they're going to be successful. So we want to help them get a job. We want to help them build a resume. We want to help them learn how to fill out a check. <laughs> I mean, these are basic things that adults need. We actually have a series called Adulting 101 that are um, a series no, of- No, I did the exact same thing. called Signature Events. I literally call called them. it Adulting 101. Yeah. You, do you remember when I did the pie events and it was Adulting 101 and I was like, here's all the things, learn to do a budget, learn to write a check. I, I'm just wondering if you could teach me how to use Venmo. I could totally okay. do that. Wait. We'll talk later. Stop it. Um. So if, <laughs> but all that to say, I mean, we don't want to, yeah, obviously, you know, but there, we just, it's in, our approach is ingrained in who we are as a company. That's what I will say. Because doing a resident event is not something that you just uh, throw it together. Yeah. We, we plan our events months in advance. I mean, our, our team, their, their events for the next month are due the month before. And we vet them and we go through them and we work with them. We provide them resources for that. We're actually, this weekend, I was telling Greta earlier, I'm flying back to Austin tonight. On Friday and Sunday, Dan and I are going live for a, a seven-hour training. Now, it's not seven hours of us talking, I promise. But we're doing a live stream training from our Austin offices that every single person in our company is going to get touched with in some way or another, whether they're watching it live, which about 99% of them are, or we're going to record it and have it as part of their curriculum when they start as a new employee. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, it's, it's really in our approach to learning and development because just going on the LND path there for a minute – it's not about what you want people to know, it's about how you want them to perform, right? And so when, when you say creating experiences is important for us, we have to give them the tools to be able to, to do that and to execute on that. So I know we kind of went on this trail there, but I think yeah, no. it's so important to, Absolutely. to keep that central to kind of what you do. So let's, let's talk. I just gave the microphone to Courtney because um, the next question I'm really kind of asking to you guys because I want to hear feedback from you guys, and, and that's really quite simply, does Waffle Wednesday work? Um, and, and, and what I mean by that specifically is, you know, are we engaging our residents in a way that, that creates community and, and connects our residents to, to the university community at large? Because that's really what resident engagement is about. So uh, I'm not you know, not knocking Waffle Wednesdays or anything like that. But I think we all do the Taco Tuesdays, the whatever. So I really kind of want to hear from you guys on, you know, what does it take? Because I've seen Waffle Wednesdays with a, the waffle maker sitting over to the side that looks like it hadn't been cleaned since last Waffle Wednesday last month. Um, with a sticky syrup bottle. There's no experience wrapped around it. There's no, so I really kind of want to hear from you guys because I see some great things on Instagram from your properties on you know, ways you guys are mixing it up. We just got finished with the donut day and I was just that was, I see Tiffany over there smiling. I, I saw so many pictures of the racks of donuts and how everything was prepared and presented. Um, so Instagram worthy, but it's, Anyway, I'm going to throw that question out to you guys, really to you know, engage with our podcast audience as well. Is that stuff working? Is part of it 
that you're is any part of it that is really you're fed up with because it's the same 12 people that show up every week or have you found a, a better way of, of making that happen I'll, I'll definitely speak on Waffle Wednesdays. That is um, kind of our, our bread and butter. We like to think a little bit more outside the box and not just, okay, Waffle Wednesdays, done. You know, Taco Tuesdays, the days that rhyme. You know, they're on our marketing plan. Let's do this. Um, instead, taking it back to, one, what do our residents really want? And, two, like, what is our brand? Does, does a waffle actually go with our brand and with, with our community as a whole? Um, it's not just about creating experiences, but memorable experiences that you want to share. So, for instance, if you're going to do a Waffle Wednesday, rent out a Waffle House. I bet your residents would love that. I bet they would love to go to a Waffle House and say, my community rented this out for me, bring your friends. You just have to twist it. You, you, you know, it's not about coming up with the, the best idea, but how do, you, how do you make it, you know, your own and make it um, something that someone will want to share with their friends. So that's really kind of our marketing approach when we think about stuff like that. I, I like what you said about it's on our marketing plan, so we need to do it. Uh, because so many of our, like, my teams, I, I, I actually heard them say one time that, oh, that's just a filler event, um, which made my blood boil. And basically they were putting on their marketing plan to say that they were doing something so that they would meet the requirements. Um, but you said it right. It's memorable experiences, you yeah. know, and, and what are your residents going to remember? I always tell our teams, decorate your office, blow up balloons. I mean, balloons are old with the marketing, like put them out by the road. I used to do that when I was a CA. Make cookies. Those were our marketing tactics. Well, and I think, <laughs> and I think, I mean, I get it. It's marketing, right? And you want to be able to capitalize on those events. But those events aren't just so that you've got something to, to post on Instagram. Right. Those are to you know make someone at a home office happy that something was done. It's really about creating that experience with your resident, creating something that um, they're going to remember about your property. Yeah. And I think that's that's really important. Carol, have you got something? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to piggyback off of her. It kind of you know got me an insight um, when she was um, talking about you know thinking outside the box, like renting out a Waffle House. Well. What we try to do is, um, you know, have consistent events um, where, you know, college students, their schedule and work schedule and social schedule is all crazy anyway. So we try to have a consistent event. If we're going to do a Taco Tuesday, you know, we're at least going to run it for three months straight. So we know every Tuesday this semester, they know they can come get free tacos on Tuesday. You know, if that's the only time they're going to be able to eat that day. Um, but also, I found that cross-marketing, when we have small budgets and, you know, trying to get money that we always want to bring food to the events because that's how you get people to come to your events a lot of times, um, is that, you know, we reach out to local businesses and do a whole cross-marketing um, club. It's called Club 360. Um, we have it at all of our properties and... It's a way to think outside the box and get these local businesses, small community business owners in front of all these student residents, you know, and they're the hardest demographic to reach, the 18 to 24 demographic. So they're always excited to come and give out free samples, you know, bring their, like the local pizza place, um, you know, tanning places, nail places, you know, it doesn't have to be um, always just movie nights or, you know, Waffle Wednesdays, but getting outside thinking of local businesses to partner up with and having them to your property um, to promote their brand. And then they're, it's, a free, it's a free way to advertise. So just some ideas there. 
I actually love that you brought that up because, you know, part of this that we wanted to talk about was it's the true cost of the resident experience, mm -hmm. right? And so I really, I feel like what we talked about was all of the resident benefits or all of the benefits of a great resident experience. And so this is what it looks like. And what you just brought up is, and Tiffany, you actually kind of started on it, right? So what's a great resident experience and how do we build it? And so if you're going to do your full market analysis and understand your market and then build a brand and then build a resident experience that matches those things, what's the actual cost of that? Because we already talked about what those great benefits are and what the payoff is. So now what's the cost of it? Well, to rent out a Waffle House, do you think that's cheap? Nope. Nope. But then on the other side of that, there are great ways to save money on that. And you just listed off a bunch of them. And we've done this in markets before. I've done this in markets before. We've utilized that at markets where we didn't have amenities, where we didn't have a ton of amenities. And so we used that exact same process to be able to assist where we didn't have a gym, we didn't have tanning, we didn't have all of these things. And so a part of this club card, this helped expand our resident experience in this exact same way. And you do, you always wanna be doing cross promotion to be able to save money on these events. So there is a cost, but you cannot just create these experiences by just telling people that you create these experiences. So part of it is, it is gonna cost you money if you want to create great resident events that they're going to invite their friends to, and they're also gonna post about on their Instagram and on their social media. But then additionally, these people have to know to go to look for these things. So Wes, you actually had previously, when we originally talked about it, it was recruiting and training. Mm -hmm. And that was like, that's a whole other thing yeah. that we, that I don't feel like we're doing, or that in a lot of cases isn't being done enough. Yeah, well, and, and to go back to the, to the fiscal cost of it as well, I mean, this is... Well, this is part of fiscal. This is the thing I want to get across to everybody, because I love Tiffany's example of renting out the Waffle House. Yeah, it's expensive. But am I going to have a bigger marketing impact of having that once Absolutely. a quarter versus, you know, 12 different Waffle Wednesdays in the clubhouse, right? And I think that's something that, um, you know, that we've just got to, to ask ourselves. But, yeah, to go back to that thing about recruiting, and we could talk, you know, a little bit more, you know, on that as it relates to experience. So let's just... Let's just go ahead and make that transition. You know, when, when I think about resident experience and I think about customer service, I think about, you know, Chick-fil-A versus any other fast food restaurant or fast casual that you could think about. Because there's some great face, fast casual, but they're still not saying, you know, thank you, have a great day, yeah. all of those things that, that you get from Chick-fil-A, right? Uh, you know, look at it from an airline standpoint, you know, Southwest versus United. Um, by the way, I claimed Jihad on United about five years ago, and I'm still still fighting I'll that battle. That but, oh, my God, they're horrible. But anyway, um, and see, they just lost a bunch of other customers because... You're welcome, yeah, United. Do better. That's how it happens. And wait till this goes on the Internet. On it's going to go podcast. viral. It's going to go it viral. So anyway, so much of that backs into, if you think about those, just those two companies, Chick-fil-A and Southwest, so much of that backs into the culture, the training, and the recruitment of, of you know, who they're bringing in. I mean, go back to Chick-fil-A, 
they're using the same recruitment tool or recruitment pool as every other fast food restaurant you know that's out there uh, what is it that they're doing with their you know 16 year old part-timers that the other restaurants aren't doing and if if you spend some time looking into it i know dan dan has a great interview that he did with dan kathy from chick-fil-a and and he hits a lot on this but if if you could kind of adam if you could kind of speak a little bit to you know that whole recruitment process and then i really want to find out from the crowd what is it that you guys are doing to because we've got some great companies that that are here some that have some really great culture that i know all about but i really kind of want to hear those tangible things of you know what what type of things are you doing in order to make sure that you're getting the right folks on board yeah i think um that's another one of my that's my area is our our student staff members and we have a couple different designations for them depending on where they live on site or off site or things like that but the recruiting process is always the same and it's it's been amazing since I kind of took in this position. I've had managers come tell me we can't find because we have a live on requirement mm-hmm. to be a community assistant. It is required to live on. I know that there's other companies who do things differently, but that's kind of how we do it. And they come to me and say we can't find anybody who lives on site. And I go and look in their social media. I go and look inside their their management systems and their email platforms, and they haven't even sent out anything. So I think step one to finding good people is recruiting. <laughs> Right? We market our properties. We spend a ton of money marketing our properties. I'm, I'm sure every one of you in here probably know how many dollars per bed you spend on marketing. Or if not, you can find it easily on your budgets. But when it comes to finding great people, if we don't get out there and recruit, if we don't let people know that we're hiring them, how are they going to know? They're not just going to see that flyer that you post in your office that you don't tape to the window. I know that's one of uh, <laughs> that's, that is one of my biggest pet peeves. Uh, don't tape that flyer to your window. But just putting a flyer up isn't isn't not recruiting. It's the same. It's not marketing. You, as a as a regional, if you're in the room, or as a general manager, you would not accept that as marketing. So why do we accept that as good recruiting? So I think that's step one. Step two is vetting those candidates. Um, we have we have a very specific process that we go through at Campus Advantage. We call it the Rise process. It's recruit, interview, select, and engage, um, and it's thorough. I mean, there's a whole there's a manual on it, and I kid you not, it's like 40 pages long, and it's fun and it's colorful. There's pictures. But it's, it's thorough, and it's amazing. Managers who call me and say, hey, I'm struggling, and I'm like, have you used the RISE process? Did you go through the steps? Well, no, we just need to fill the space. Filling the space is your enemy. It's kind of like saying work-life balance. It doesn't exist because essentially if you, you might get lucky. Let's just be honest. We'll call it what it is. You might get lucky. In my years of doing this, I've gotten lucky a few times. I'm sure that you guys have gotten lucky a few times. But... For the most part, when you're just looking for a warm body, you're not going to find what you need to deliver what you're expecting from them. And so vet those candidates, do a group process, do individual interviews, do a phone interview. If you can't decide, do an interview with your current CA staff. They're going to have to work with them. Well, that's a good point, yeah. There, there, was, <laughs> there was one time where um, I always brought my cur- current staff in uh, yeah. because they're working with them probably more than I am. And we did not hire this girl one time. This is, I don't know, like fair hiring or whatever, but... The CAs did not like her laugh. I know it's crazy. They're like, I, don't, I can't stand to work with her for six hours on the ship because her laugh drives me insane. It ends up she defaulted on her rant. Like, it ended up like, like okay, that makes sense now because she wouldn't able to work with us anyway. But taking those things into consideration are really important. What are your current staff? Because they're, they're working with them. And if you don't have good staff harmony, you know how difficult that is. I think the third part is set expectations, right? 
People will perform to the expectations you set for them. And if you don't set them early and remind them often, shame on you because that's that's not on them. That's on you yeah. um, as a manager. That's management 101 is managing your people. What do you expect from them? What do you want them to do? Which is why we ingrain the resident experience so deep into who we are as a company. It's part of our core values. We just... We launched what we call E3, which is our approach to customer service. It is now part of the core training within the first hour that you're on our team and you're hired on your first day. You're going through our E3 training. Every person in the company got this rolled out. There's a poster. There's all these kind of things because repetition, excuse me, repetition is key in that. So recruit well, vet your candidates, and set up expectations. I think that's, yeah. I mean, that's just basic. That's what. Yeah. I think there's a lot of this always happens during the podcast too. I forget the silence my phone. Like <laughs> well, every the thing about it is, is time. we talk about you know ROI and and the cost of the resident experience. Let's talk a little bit about the cost of recruiting good people and backfilling those spaces. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're. I mean, sometimes we're paying community assistance or leasing agents, or whatever. They're making minimum wage or a little bit above it. But that can become a really yeah. big payroll burden if you're just wasting payroll on a person who's going to sit there yeah. and do nothing. So, I, I mean, I think, I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, be smart about recruiting. But I really want to get something tangible for, for you guys and from you guys if you've used something in the past. So, Adam, I'll kick it back to you. All that's great. But what does that actually look like? What is that? I mean, you talked a little bit about bringing in um, – you know, bringing in the other CAs to, to help with that interview process and, and that type of thing. But if, if I'm taking over a property tomorrow and, uh, you know, I know that there's got to be a complete culture change on that property and it's not going to, it's not going to, it's easier for me to find other people than it is to, to work with what I got. You know, I'll try to, try to keep, find out who's salvageable, but I know I've got to find somebody. What is it that, that you've used, that you train people to use, same thing for our audience, of being able to, to quickly identify, say within the first 48 hours of, of kind of being on the ground there of, uh, hey, this is someone that could possibly fill a position that would be great for our residents and yeah. you know, would be passionate. Anything that you uh, got for that? What is their why? Yeah. I mean, sitting down and having a conversation with them, that, I mean, I work with a lot of our transitions and I come in usually and sometimes I'm like, why do we cue this person yeah, on? Yeah. And other times I'm like, I'm so glad we cut this person. But it's really just having a conversation with them. Even with your current staff, um, we, we do biannual evaluations. We talk through what our expectations are, why, why are you working here? What do you want to get out of this job? Because like, it's more than just a paycheck, yeah. right? And, and yeah, you're like, oh, it's a CA position. Well, it is the CA position, but we view them as they're the face of our company. They're the first line of defense. They're your role. They're, they're in the trenches, I yeah. mean, literally in the trenches. They're out there doing those things. And um, sometimes it's for the money. And, and we would say sometimes that's okay, but go to work at McDonald's or Chick-fil-A if, that's, if you're in the money. With this, it's like you can really tell what, just by having a conversation with them, what they want to do, right? Yeah. And so naturally these positions lend themselves to people who want to help other people or who want to uh, be in that world of marketing and love interacting with people and things like that. And no am I saying you have to have a staff that is all the same, 
right? Because it's very important to have a diverse staff and they all serve different functions. They may be passionate about different things, but you can really, I, I mean, that's the easiest thing is just sit down and have a conversation with them. When I became a general manager, I didn't have a lot of experience in determining who was going to be a good fit for my team. I had hired community assistants before under the direction of my GM, but that was the first thing I did. I was at a property there. They, um, the operations specialist had just caused a massive mess. Yeah. And it's like one of those things where it was, it was bad when I got there. Yeah. And coming in, the staff were demotivated. They were tired. The, the AGM was on the verge of just walking out and quitting. And just simply having a conversation with her. And there were times when we had tiffs and got into it and ended up, you know, she stayed because she knew what her why was. And I encouraged her in that. She became a GM, which I'm so proud of her. She's still a GM. She loves it. Um, but then CAs were the same thing. And I determined, like, there was someone like, how did you, like, in my mind, I'm like, how did you get hired? <laughs> like, I know you've had that thought before. Like, who, who, who hired yeah. you? <laughs> who did that? Um, but, you know, and, and, the th- and having that conversation with them. What do you want out of this job? What do you want? Um, if you're a GM and you're not having at least semesterly one-on-ones with your CAs, let me encourage you to try to do that. It is so beneficial Maybe they don't report directly to you. Maybe they report to your leasing manager, AGM, and you don't have as much interaction with them. But as a general manager, that's your ship, you know. Even regionals, I, I had yeah, regionals I was just going, I was thinking the who same were like thing. knowing like hit my regional as a GM. He, he wouldn't talk. I was the last person he talked to when he got to my property. Yeah. He walked in. He would talk to the CAs. He would talk to the AGM, the bookkeeper. He would go to the maintenance shop. He would talk to residents, and then he'd come to my office. And I that really stuck out in my mind because. It just makes them feel like they're a part of the team. Yeah. Um, and so, and treat them that treat them that way. Sorry, I'm going on like a whole tangent here, but treat your CAs as part of the management team at your community. That will empower them. We were talking about this earlier. Yes. Is give. I, I have a quote. I don't know if I don't know if I made this up. I'm going to take credit for it because no one else has. But like, let your people do great things is one. So let them do great things. Give them the opportunity and, and empower them. Yes. The second one is free up the flow of service. Right. If there's an ability for your community assistant to solve a problem, let them solve the problem. Yeah. Like, do you know how much time and energy that's going to save you uh, as a manager is when your CAs have the power and the knowledge and the ability to fix an issue for a resident? And that creates that experience that we yeah. are so passionate about is that we want to really empower our staff. Um, the Gold Standard is a great book to read. I'm sure you've read that, mm-hmm. right? Cause, uh, about the Ritz Carlton, about how the, their staff get. $2,000 per guest to make an issue right. Now, I'm in no way advocating that you give your CAs $2,000 per resident and say, go fix everything. But find that threshold. There are some that you can trust to say, yeah, we're going to waive that late fee or yeah, we're going to take care of that utility bill or, or what have you. Uh, but you have to set the expectations. So, so I want to throw that, that same question out to, to you guys in the, in the audience here. Um, when it comes to recruiting, be it for the CA position, if you're a regional and you're recruiting for, for a GM, and you know, what are some of those things, A, in identifying someone that's going to create that positive experience, and then, I mean, because I think for the most part we recognize it pretty quickly, but when you're in that, in that crunch where you've got to, to fill a position pretty quick, what are some things that you guys have used? either in where you're recruiting or how? 
So I think one of the things that I've done at our sites before is the first, uh, we do six and six, so it's six weeks and six events in six weeks. We look and write down names of residents that are there, that participate, that are excited about it, and if and when we need something or if we don't, we just approach them. And kind of recruiting is an ongoing thing. It never stops. It's kind of like networking. You always want to have your feelers out there in case something comes up. So I think noticing those people, especially at the beginning of each year or whenever you're having events, those people that are coming and making the most of the event, they're the ones that can turn around and make the most of the events for other residents as well. Great. Anybody else? I just want to add that the, your RISE program sounds a lot like what they do on campus. I think on campus it's recruits so much better it, yeah. than we do off campus. Yeah, so the group interviews, the individual yeah. interviews, you know, just situationally, they discuss things in advance. Well, and what we, and it's even in the rights manual, <laughs> if this were your money, who would you give it to, right? So if you own this property, if, if the NOI was going to your pocket, who would you be willing to pay and picking right. it that way? And we call it selection not hiring because selection involves that process and we're not just picking a resume out of the stack. We're going through this rigorous process to find the right fit. And I would say just as a kind of comical note, some places I found some really great staff members are in the gym at your property and in the computer lab because people who clean up after themselves in the gym, that's somebody I want on my team because they're following the rules and they're doing something. And pushing the chair up or turn, you know, turning the computer off or wiping their, that, those attention to detail like I found some really great staff members just by going by walking through the gym and like, oh, hey, you clean your equipment. That's kind of somebody I want on my team. Are you interested in applying and just asking them? Any other questions? I have one more statement. Yeah. Has anyone ever, a lot of people started out in the industry, worked in a different industry and was selected by someone? You were? Where was that? a relationship yeah. Hotels. hotel <laughs> I'm just sharing a, a, a tip came from varsity student housing from Kingston Canada yeah. AJ build his entire staff hiring from Starbucks yeah finding the best Starbucks baristas and somehow they train their staff so well and Basically, he said, I just outsource my hiring to Starbucks and find the best one amongst them, right? So It's probably why he has a Starbucks in his property in Oshawa now. <laughs> I think she's got some. So, no, it's, I was literally, this is sitting here in my head because as you were talking about recruitment, so it's not on recruitment, it's on the next stage, which is training. Because yeah. I feel like you've, I mean, honestly, you've kind of covered it in the most beautiful way possible. And it's one of the things, and you know how strongly I felt about this, and I got this from conventional. And so I'm curious to know how you, how you end up responding to what I'm about to say, because I feel like it's the only subject we have not covered yet today. So I, shockingly, have huge feelings about the training process, and it was that, and I think it feeds into the resident experience, and it was that once you do select this, you know, the right candidate for this position, it was that this person should go through the full training process. And, you know, I felt very strongly about what that should look like. And once, you know, and, until they go through that process of, you know, being trained by the right team members and shopping the competitors and learning all these items and going through fair housing for the love of all that's good, that they cannot, will not, should not under any circumstances interact with your residents 
they should not take tours and they should not answer the phone. Now, if it takes, you know, one week to go through that process, if it takes two weeks to go through that process, if they're only, if they're CAs and they're only there a certain number of days, then we are willing to put forth that time investment because we want these people to be properly trained, have the right proper knowledge before they're interacting with our residents and prospect residents. You wouldn't hire an ambulance or a paramedic and put them on the ambulance their first day and let them save people's lives if they didn't know what they were doing, right? I mean, I know that's a really grand <laughs> example. We might be saving someone's life. You don't, you never know what you'll be doing. It's student housing, right? So anything can come. I would 100% agree with you. Now, what I believe and what happens are two different things. Um, and here's the thing. I empathize with our on-site on -site people because I've been in those trenches. And I always told myself when I made the move to the home office from the property staff, that I would never forget what it's like to sit in that chair as a general manager and be a staff person down and being told like you have to do it this way. And so I'm, I'm extremely flexible with our teams yeah. with that. But I 100% agree with you. It like, and I will call our properties. I don't call the GM cell phone unless I need something specific or have a really great relationship with them. I will always call the property and I'm always looking for how they answer the phone. We have a standard greeting at Cambridge Advantage and if they're not using that greeting, you best believe as soon as I get off the phone with that community assistant or that staff person, I'm talking to their general manager like, hey, why are we not using, like, this is our expectation. And the same thing, in my gap years, because I didn't have one, um, I worked as a direct support professional in uh, for Volunteers of America and it's basically taking care of the daily living needs of individuals who couldn't do themselves. So they were special needs individuals. We could not even start training in the homes with individuals until we had taken care of all of our courses online. It was something like 38 hours. And they would pay us for that. Uh, and so... Well, and, and that's that's one of the main things I get back to of, of why we wanted to call this the true cause. Because, yeah. you know, folks are just... Uh, we're not thinking through far enough right. down the road as to what's going to come up. We should always be recruiting. Yes. And to always be recruiting means that there's always an expense related to it as well. Right. And, and, and I don't mean just a fiscal expense to it. I also mean that that means a time sacrifice um, for it as well. So yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, not to cut you short, but I got I've, we've got some some time parameters that we've completely blown out of the water, and um, I want to make sure that we've got some time for um, our other things as well. So, Adam, I appreciate you flying up from Texas to Cincinnati Thank and you. spending the time with us, and I know we're all better for it. And um, I hope so. <laughs> I hope you walk out here with a little nugget of wisdom. <laughs> some, there's something in there. There's, there's got to be something in there. We can right? watch it back on the tape later. Adam, I appreciate it. Have Thank a you. safe trip back, and that's a wrap. Well, I, I, again, I love that setting. I love that interaction that we had with, so much with fun. everybody. It's so much yeah, fun. Yeah, it really was. We actually we we ran out of one question, or we didn't get to one question. I, I want to bring that up now because all of that was really leading up to this, you know, this last question, which you and I have both worked for a lot of different 
you know, companies within this industry. Some have been on the development side where, you know, everything you were building, you know, had to, to kind of match the mission of what you were, what you were trying to bring that campus. Right. And, and then we've also worked for, um, for companies that have been more on just the management and the acquisition side of it. And, and I kind of see the same thing playing out. I mean, it, a name doesn't matter when we talk about this, but when you, when you look at any kind of prospectus for, you know, an acquisition and, or, or when the company that's acquiring comes in and talks with the employees, you hear a lot of things about this resident engagement and building value through that. And then, there's not a whole lot of things that are being that are being done different. There's not a lot of specifically money that's being spent on resident engagement. And, you know, it was a great it was a great example that that Tiffany gave mm-hmm. of you know the Waffle Wednesday at you know Waffle House, and and a great follow up from from you a little bit later about you know, but that does cost money, and that's a thing I, I feel like it just keeps coming back over and over again when I see these when I see these acquisitions uh, of older properties those folks are coming in saying that they're going to add value and one of the things is going to be you know with resident engagement but then you look at the damn underwriting and it's not any different than the way they were running it before exactly and and yeah I mean yeah I'm going to get on my soapbox but don't don't sit there and tell people that you you know, you do it better and expect that it doesn't fall back into some line item on the budget or that it doesn't fall back onto some line item in the budget because it absolutely does. You know, I completely agree. Like, I feel like that is a hundred. Well, one, that's really where you and I kind of got off on this conversation to begin with. But additionally, you, you can kind of hear my tone when I respond to her. And it's almost like the, you can, that's coming from a place of almost like frustration that's been there before, you know, in the way that I'm saying it is like, it costs money because I'm, I'm not even, you know, I'm directing it at all of the previous times that I've been frustrated with that situation of you want this value, you're going to have to spend the money to do it on types of things such as this. And that's exactly what it is. You know, if you're going, well, not, Go ahead. And I think, well, I was going to say, I, you know, I think that we we talked talked about filler events, right? And I know that that's kind of a thorn in your side. And I think that's one thing that just gets me so irked about any type of events that you know that are being planned. Is it always looks like, you know, I, I see them, you know, commonly referred to as as filler events, mm-hmm. right? And something just to fill time or. I, well, you're meeting, and you've talked about this over and over and over again. All of these things need to be planned out and backed into a into a into a cost. You can't just throw a number at it and say, "Okay, well that that's what the national average is. That's what the the regional average is." You know, based on if you're using numbers from NMHC's annual report or, or whatever. That that's not. <laughs> That's not not where it comes from. No, because the thing is, is that, you know, there's all of it comes down to 
every single aspect. I feel like every single aspect of what we talk about, every single, you know, person that we bring on, everything comes back from start from the inception of the property to the the development to the branding to every like literally if you're going to, you know, you're going to build it yourself to you're going to buy it, you're going to take it over, you're going to value out whatever the case is, all the way down to these little tiny aspects of it. It's are you thinking these things through? And that's all it is. Are you thinking these things through? Do they actually make sense? Or are we just throwing things on there and then getting pissed off when the property isn't actually leasing? Are we getting pissed off when it's not working? Are we getting pissed off when we're not making enough money because we can't actually increase rents as much as we promised our investors we could? And it's like, and who are you getting pissed off at? You know, and why? Because none of, you know, there's so many working parts here that didn't actually have enough attention paid to them in the first place. And, you know, it's, there's so many different aspects of this and none of them were properly paid attention to in the first place. And all of them need to be, this is all a business. This was all an investment. And you have to look at all of these different aspects all the way down. Yes to your filler events and they all yeah. have to, they all have to and, be executed properly. And, and let me tell you, let me just, let me just expose it for everybody out there that doesn't get oh. it. Okay. Oh, what's about to happen? Yeah. I, th- yeah. It's that oh. Tom, you know, if you're, if you're a property manager and you're, you're listening to this and you're saying, you know what, I was here when this property was acquired and I'm, I'm not spending anything more on resident events than what I did before, but yet I've got a company that's telling me that they're more about resident events and resident engagement. Da 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 da. Nothing's changed. I don't understand why. You know, the, this group told us that this is what they were mm. going to do. I've submitted a new budget, and all I've been told is I've got to cut this. I want to have a, a resident director that's completely focused on this. It all comes back to that underwriting. And the folks that are doing that underwriting are, are trying to, to get things passed through the door so that there's not a lot of questions asked, so they don't have to explain why this is so important. And the other side of that is the reason they want this to all go through is because they've got some type of fee on the end of it for acquiring or placing debt or placing equity. It has absolutely jack shit nothing to do with actually making something better for the students. And if you go back and you you read what, or you go back and listen to one thing that you mentioned in here um, in your conversation was, you know, ninja marketing (laughs) (laughs) and how, how, you know, people and what it really, it's, it's more of a perception, you know, where, wow, this, this person has hardly spent anything on marketing expenses, but yet they've been able to lease it out. And it's even been in a competitive mm-hmm. market, blah, 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 blah. And, oh, well, this person's just a leasing ninja. And chances are, when you go in and you actually look at it, they've been doing the, the things that needed to be done to, to make sure that the, that the students were taken care of and that they were engaged with their neighbors and with folks that were a part of the community. So that they felt like they were a part of home, and that's when that it's you would not have been around those those type of those type of managers when they take that extra time to make an experience for their students. Their marketing goes, excuse me, their lease up goes 
so much more smoother than those mm-hmm. that don't. Anyway, I'm just glad I got that off yeah. my chest. Do you, do you feel a little bit better? It's like a little bit of a therapy session. Feel a little bit better. <laughs> feel a little bit better. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's a completely human response. I don't know if human response is the right word here, but... You know, I think I think most humans end up taking the the path of least resistance, and I think everybody in their position, regardless, uh, you know, when you start looking at it from a standpoint of uh, folks that are acquiring properties that are that are going through that underwriting process, I, I feel for you. You've got a lot on your hands, and um, you also haven't seen it from a standpoint of of operating on on the site level on a day-to-day basis and understand exactly what's needed. And I think that's, uh, if you are that person listening to this podcast, if you're the person that's working with one of these groups that is, you know, part of doing a lot of the analysis and the underwriting and uh, be it for, for building new projects or for acquiring things and trying to reposition them, recognize the obvious. If you haven't been involved day to day with, you know, with, with operating one of these properties and trying to lease them up, humble yourself and speak with the people that do and say, what is it going to take to make this thing happen and, and for us to create a better experience? Because so much of the time I just see, I see folks that are, that are focused in on making an acquisition, what that's going to mean for them personally in regards to getting a fee for placing this equity or for placing this debt. And they don't think all the way through to what it's going to look like on the other side when they haven't underwritten it correctly. So that's, that's really where it starts. And I'm glad to step on those toes. If you, (laughs) if if you've got, if you've got, uh, if you've got somebody, uh, you know, in your career that you've been preaching this to and they're not listening, please send them this podcast and tell them to listen to this particular Tom stamp <laughs> part of it, because uh, they've got to understand. And the thing is, is if, if you see the folks that are really successful in this industry, for example, and we're going to be talking about this pretty soon. I don't know how much the asset management at ACC is involved with is involved with underwriting new deals. So I can't speak to that, but I can speak to the fact that I've met most of the folks that are on the asset management team for ACC and they came from the site level. They came up through the ranks and because of that, they get it. Not only do, you know, not only do they get it, but they, they don't, they're very efficient. They don't waste their time asking I mean, they'll ask the you know they'll they'll ask the obvious questions that need to be asked. But the, the difference is, is they've got you know they've got four or five, maybe more years of site experience behind them, and they're able to cut through the bullshit that you know uh, you know a site manager may or may not. Because I know what it's like to be on those calls. You feel like as a site manager, you got to have a an answer to something. And so you make something up. And, you know, that's what's incredible about their asset management team is, you know, they can cut through so much of that BS. So anyway, back to my point, the groups that are that are not making those mistakes and that are that really are adding value by putting in a resident engagement program 
they understand what that means from an underwriting standpoint. And yeah, I think you see it on the other side from an investment standpoint and what that, what those returns look like. So anyway, get off my soapbox. All right. (laughs) Yeah. I can't wait to, uh, can't wait to see what the response is from, from that discussion and how the audience reacts to, to some of that. But moving on, let's talk about some things that are coming up. So yeah, let, let's talk really quick about the summits that are coming up because we said at the beginning that there's been some some changes. We want to make sure that everybody's aware of that. Um, uh, first of all, as most everybody knows, uh, part of the reason that we're doing this is for a big picture type of thing, which has to do with uh, several learning modules that we're putting together. And to begin with, that first module is going to be on market analysis, because as, as we've always said, it begins with market analysis. Um, every project begins and ends with market analysis. And we've been doing the the workshop on the first day. And the workshop has been, we've gotten some really good feedback from it. And it, it really required some things that we felt like it needed more time. And so why don't you tell them a little bit more about what's happening with the market analysis workshop? Yeah. So this is actually, I was really, really excited about this. And I was so, you know, when we started talking about how we could make this even better, which totally goes along with the whole make student housing better. How can we make the student housing summit better? And this really kind of did it. You know, it was the the market analysis workshop is it really does need to be in depth. And the analysis itself is best served when done at the summit to be able to work through those numbers, to understand those numbers, to understand the market and to be able to get that support, the feedback and all of that while you're there. And in order to do that, you want to be able to have all of the time necessary to be able to properly dive into the information you're receiving. And so it requires the proper amount of time. And in order to do that, it needs to have, you know, more time added, but we don't want to have it take up a whole, you know, the whole entire day. And so that was now shifted to a second day. So this is now turned into a two day event. So what that meant for day one is that we were now given the opportunity to completely redesign and enrich that first day, which is really, really exciting. And so it gave this opportunity to to bring in a lot more information, a lot more education, a lot more learning. And so now you have two days that are just jam packed, filled with these, with these talks, with these panels, with these seminars, with all of this information that truly even brings forth even more information to, you know, make student housing better, but really that, that makes all of, all of us better, that makes all of the attendees better. And so really just, it, it really just brings it all more to life. It gives everybody the opportunity to learn, learn even more. And that first day, I think the part that I'm most excited about, because obviously I feel like my most, you know, the part that I was always most excited about for me, because I'm data obsessed, was the market analysis. And then I, you know, when I saw the first idea presentations, I loved those. They were incredible. But, you know, now incorporating the the four corners of student housing. And so now we're covering marketing and leasing and operations and finance. And to know that, that every area of student housing is truly going to be just like fully encompassed into this is... It's so incredible to me, and I'm so excited. Yeah, and it, you know, the the workshops are going to change from from time to time. Oh, right I'm now sure. Yeah, 
you know, we're focused this is just on this one event. Analysis. Yeah. And then, you know, we'll do budgeting and some other things, which I love. That, and that, that is really the, you know, for the, for the site manager, regional level folks that, that are in that stuff day to day. And because the other thing that we were seeing is we had a lot of, uh, especially at our, at our first event that we did in Charlotte last year, um, we had a lot of owners and investors and folks that are kind of outside of the operations on a day-to-day basis. And during that workshop, there wasn't a whole lot for them to, to get out of it because it was very specific on each individual market and, and all that. And so I, I've loved that we've created something that ownership and uh, executive folks can get a lot out of and, and see a lot of value in. But, and I even told most, <laughs> hey, come two hours later because of this workshop, I don't know that you're necessarily going to get a whole lot out of it. And so what this now allows, you know, the way that we redesigned it is, is that first day really goes after a much bigger audience, still very operations based, still very much uh, focused on, on helping out site level and regional level employees of management companies. But in addition to that, it gives owners and investors and and folks kind of outside of the industry, gives them a whole day to really kind of consume that and also interact and network with everybody that's there. Because we were so pushed for that when we were lumping all of this together in one day. I think it's fantastic. I honestly am insanely, insanely excited for this event. I think it's going to be phenomenal. The whole, yeah. the whole entire event. So anyway, um, really excited about what we've got planned for for Waco and hope everyone can join us. If you want more information, go to studenthousinginsight.com and then click on upcoming events and you'll you'll see all the information there once you click on the button for Waco. Greta, thanks so much for being with me today and absolutely <laughs> let me get on my soapbox <laughs> and we will talk to you next time. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye.